welcome to a new episode of R&D Open Podcast. I'm Dr. Paul Sulenek, working as a rheumatologist at the Medical University of Vienna and postdoctoral researcher at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Giovanni Adami from the University di Verona. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for having me here. It's a great pleasure to talk about our study. We'll be discussing the study association between long-term exposure to air pollution and immune-mediated diseases, a population-based cohort study. So thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. I'd say we'd start a few could line out for us the main highlight findings of your study in lay terms. Well, thank you. Well, in summary, we did a cohort study on a very large population of Italian women aged uh, over 50 years, and we studied approximately 80,000 women that were referring to the uh, physician for osteoporosis care. And we recorded the diagnosis of several uh, autoimmune diseases, as well as other variables, clinical variables uh, related and non-related to osteoporosis. And we match this patient with the uh, long-term exposure to particulate matter, so the air pollution and traffic-derived air pollution. We found that uh, pulled together all the uh, autoimmune diseases, so immune-mediated diseases, where uh, uh, the patient exposed to higher levels of pollution were at higher risk of developing an autoimmune disease. This is, was particularly true for rheumatoid arthritis uh, and connective tissue diseases and inflammatory bowel diseases. Wonderful to uh, putting this together in such brief words. I'd say it is a good moment to provide our listeners with some basic definitions that you have used already now here in, in the small introduction so to have everyone on the same page. How did you define air pollution. You also mentioned the PM. So what do the different classifications of PM tell us? Well, PM are particulate matter. So all the particulate matter that are produced by the traffic and by industrial emissions. So we have diesel, we have traffic derived, as I told, all the combustion, so all the toxic emission from these pollutants and produce particulate matters that can be defined based on their dimension. So we have particular matter 10, which is particular matters with are below 10 micrometers of size. And then we have a particular matter 2.5, which are less than 2.5 micrometers. Uh, we choose these two because there are uh, widely available instruments across Italy, more than 600 instruments for measuring these particular matters. However, these two, uh, the particular matter 2.5 and particular matter 10, are really a good proxy of exposure to air pollution. Because there are plenty of studies that have showed us that exposure to particular matter, whether it is uh, 10 or whether it is uh, 2.5, is harmful for our health. Uh, indeed, in Europe, uh, there are thresholds which are defined by the World Health Organization. So basically, uh, we choose the most widely available pollutants, and those are uh, the pollutants that are have been associated with harmful effects on the human health. 
So the particular matter actually summarizes already a mixture of different aerosols that are solid and liquid and, and PM 2.5 and 10 refers to practically simply the size. Yeah, correctly. Uh, we do have access to the daily concentration of air pollutants uh, in more than 600 air quality stations across Italy. You can measure the concentration of PM 2.5 uh, and PM 10, uh, which obviously are uh, correlated between each other, but they are uh, slightly different because PM 10 usually uh, precipitate and, uh, when it's a rainy or very high humidity. This is called as a wet deposition, while PM 2.5 do not have uh, this kind of wet deposition, so are more stable across the year. There's other differences uh, uh, that are only speculation. We do not have very uh, solid data on that. That are uh, the particular matter 2.5 reaches deep in depth in the in the in the pulmonary in the lungs. So uh, it's probably more harmful. Uh, there are some data on that uh, that that's shown that the smaller is the particulate matter, the higher is the uh, harmful effect on health. So uh, this is particularly true for uh, myocardial infarction and uh, pulmonary diseases. Uh, we don't know yet uh, if there is a differential effect on uh, immune-mediated diseases. Yeah, and, and you mentioned already now um, how practically you collected the data that kind of was used to come up with the conclusions. You had on the one hand side the air quality stations, uh, so the data of the measurements of air quality stations provided by the Italian Institute of Environment Protection and Research. And on the other hand, the DEFRA data set uh, that intends to capture patients that undergoing fracture risk when I understood that correctly. Uh, so this fracture risk screening. Could you elucidate on, on these two data sets? Yeah, absolutely. The, the Italian Environmental Protection and Research Institute uh, is a public uh, institute uh, that provides data to researchers. So there are uh, a lot of other national institutes uh, uh, in Europe uh, and there's a new, also a European institute that collects the gather data from other uh, national institutes. And so there's a kind of a repository for uh, air pollution uh, data. And this is the first uh, data source. And the second, as you mentioned, was the DEFRA dataset. The DEFRA dataset derives from a, a web-based uh, fracture risk assessment tool. So you, you can enter the data of your patient and calculate uh, the fracture risk in this patient. It is, uh, uh, it is tailored around the Italian population and uh, it is reserved only for uh, women. So that's why we collected only women patients. Uh, you have to register and you need to enter the, the clinical data of your patient and this densitometric data and diagnosis data of several autoimmune diseases which are related to fracture risk. And basically, we, we collected all these data that were provided by uh, more than 3,000 physicians across Italy. And then we uh, matched uh, the uh, residency uh, with the uh, data of the long-term exposure. So that this is a simpler way to, uh, uh, match, the, uh, to match 
patient data uh, with exposure data. However, is the uh, probably the only way in this kind of study on large, large scale uh, studies. So um, we, we match the data uh, with uh, uh, zip code centroids. So practically very, very brief, in brief uh, you have a zip of your patient. And if the, you have an air quality measurement station uh, within 20 kilometers from the patient, that's the match. And then you have a, a, an exposure uh, of this patient. The, the next part was, would be the, the recording of diagnosis. So uh, the DEFRA includes practically a women that, that do have, like many people, different kinds of diseases and comorbidities that are registered here. How did you deal with uh, the development of a disease? So how could you differentiate or was it possible for you to differentiate that someone had an incident diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, so to say, at the time when she was registered in DEFRA, or um, that this person was actually already diagnosed before the observation period with RA? This is absolutely a very good point. I, I need to mention that when you measure long-term exposure, you are measuring... Uh, a proxy of a lifetime exposure. Basically, we are assuming that people living in a very highly polluted uh, area are living there for uh, their life, and they are exposed to a very high level of pollution all over their lives. This is the, the, the main assumption of our study. Basically, if you develop uh, rheumatoid arthritis, Five years ago or 10 years ago, it probably doesn't matter at all because you, are, you have been exposed to high levels of pollution uh, probably for more than five and 10 years. You are probably have been exposed to high level of pollution for probably 15 years or 20 years. This is the main point uh, of the, the main assumption of our study and all the study that try to explore the long-term exposure to air pollution on certain uh, outcome. So to answer to your question, probably we do not have this kind of problem if we have a, a disease that has been uh, developed before or uh, the exposure time frame that we measure, which was from 2013 to 2019. The problem will be in patients that develop the uh, rheumatoid arthritis or other autoimmune diseases after the uh, exposure. That's the problem. Uh, when we have a patient that develop rheumatoid arthritis in 20 or the next year, or uh, probably they will develop or, or, or over the years, we have missed this patient. And basically we have a under diagnosis of this kind of diseases. However, this is might be very uncommon because these patients were aged over 50. So they are very unlikely to develop uh, a new autoimmune disease when they are 70 or 75 or 80 years old. They probably have prevalent autoimmune diseases. So that might be the answer to your question. Mm -hmm. in, in the end, you also answered the next question that I had in mind, the definition of long-term exposure. And when I understand you correctly, that 
it's of course very hard to really assess a huge time frame because measurement methods and also uh, the locations of the different quality control station vary over time. But people practically more or less live most of the time in one area, and you you have a, a, a rather long of eight years of around eight years um, measurement period. Uh, indeed, we, we do have some data uh, that show that people do not relocate, do not move uh, in different areas uh, when they are over 50 uh, or over 40. So people tend to be stable on the place they are living. Uh, this data from the uh, public registry uh, in Italy. Uh, so in Italy, this is particularly true more than ever, more than uh, in other uh, European countries or in the United States. So people, Italian people do not like to move. Uh, they, they tend to be stable where they live. Uh, then we have other data showing that um, patients with uh, autoimmune diseases or uh, patients with uh, osteoporosis as well tend to be stable because they are sick. Uh, so they have a disease and they don't, do not want to move. Uh, and the tend to stay uh, in, in this in a particular uh, place. Uh, this might also reinforce the concept that when you measure uh, five to ten years exposure, you probably are measuring uh, a very very uh, more uh, long term exposure of this patient because they, with a very good approximation, um, people do not tend to relocate, especially people who are sick. So when you have air pollution and cigarette smoking, so cigarette smoking is uh, associated with development of arthritis with, with aqua formation. Can you make a short comparison on what is known in relation to that? Well, from a translational point of view, this is very interesting because, uh, you know, we, we do have a lot of preclinical study showing that uh, air pollution, uh, traffic-derived air pollution, so basically a combustion of, a, of an engine, of a car engine, is associated uh, with development of autoantibodies. This is not only uh, the ACPA antibodies, uh, which all, we all know that are associated with cigarette smoking, uh, but also with uh, anti-nuclear antibodies as well. So we have preclinical data showing this uh, kind of association, which makes totally sense from our clinical data, because air pollution and cigarette smoking are really, really similar. So they, they contain very, very similar uh, toxin compounds. I think this is a very uh, interesting study and um, fits very timely into our world and community. What questions would you see uh, that need to be addressed now in the next few years? Well, uh, we have a lot of evidence uh, showing the uh, link between pathogenesis uh, of the disease and air pollution exposure. What is still not known or uh, still unclear, and we are working on that, we have published recently other studies on that, uh, is whether air pollution exposure is associated with the severity of the disease. So if you are exposed to air pollutants, you probably have a more severe disease. Uh, this is the first question. And then the second question I would say is that 
if we have data on acute exposure. So it's not long-term, it's probably more a trigger. It's more uh, an acute exposure to air pollution that start your disease. This is, might be applicable, uh, applicable to uh, disease that are abruptly overt, like vasculitis or polymides or rheumatica. And we all know that uh, there's some kind of trigger and some kind of seasonality of these diseases, like giant cell arthritis. We can, you know, smell that there is a, a seasonality of the disease, and it might be due uh, to air pollution exposure, but the, uh, the, we have no data to say that. It might be very interesting to study, explore these kind of uh, outcomes. Still a, a lot in the basket. That's great. Um, Dr. Adami, uh, thanks a lot for being with us today and for the time contributing to the podcast. Um, any last thoughts that you would like to share with us? Well, we demonstrated, uh, and not, not also our group, but other groups uh, across uh, all over the world, that air pollution is absolutely detrimental for health. And this is pretty clear right now for probably all the diseases that we know. Uh, and this is uh, absolutely a call to action uh, for also rheumatologists to study more this kind of uh, exposure on our outcomes and our diseases. And this is also a call to action to the policymakers, uh, you know, to consider that air pollution might be uh, detrimental also on, on our um, immune-mediated uh, diseases. Wonderful. So ho hopefully uh, we have heterogeneous audience and uh, listeners of this podcast. And, uh, and we thank you all for joining this RMD Open podcast. Thank you again. Also to you, particularly for your time. Yeah, it was a great pleasure. Uh, it was a great honor. And uh, thank you for having me here today. Wonderful. And, and if you would like to read the full paper, then uh, please visit the website rmdopen.bmj.com.